Hello and welcome. I am Kim Keen, host of the One of a Kind You podcast. I started this podcast to share my journey of my past self, a woman who was struggling with leaving her teaching career, adjusting to stay-at-home mom life in order to help other women with their motherhood journeys or their work-life balance journeys so they can let go, make themselves a priority without all the sacrificing. So welcome, welcome to One of a Kind You. If you are new to this podcast, thank you so much for tuning in and checking it out. Uh, The way that this show usually works is that I share a journal entry of my past self and then I reflect knowing what I know now and what I wish I had known then in that moment. But today we're changing it up. We actually have a special guest with us today. His name is Richard Capriola and he is the author of a book that is, uh, I think every parent should have it in their library. And so he's here with us today to help tell us about his journey of becoming an author and tell us more about his book. So Richard, without further ado, thank you so much for joining us today on One of a Kind You. Thank you, Kim. I really appreciate you taking the time to invite me onto your podcast and to and to talk about this issue of adolescent substance abuse, which every family uh, is scared of in, in a certain respect. Um, and that is one of the reasons why I wrote my book was to give them a resource and the information that they need so that hopefully this won't seem to be such a frightening issue for so many parents. Yes. And it's... Um, <laughs> When I learned of your book, I thought, absolutely, I need Richard on because um, my high school boyfriend that I was in this long-term relationship with actually suffered from uh, drug addiction, which was probably the root cause of a lot of the violent behaviors towards me and a lot of the dysfunction in our relationship. But I also have cousins and family members who have been impacted um, through drug addiction and alcohol abuse. So Um, Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of stigma around the topic, and I really just wanted to help normalize that, but also give parents a resource, um, because I know in the moment it it can feel so helpless and hopeless, and like there's no, nothing that can help their child. That, that's absolutely right. And, and, and you're correct in, in noting that there is a stigma associated with addiction. Uh, there, there's a stigma with mental health, too, uh, mm-hmm. but, but to a much more uh, extensive uh, a stigma attached with addiction. Um, so I think parents need all of the information that they can get about adolescent substance abuse. That's why I wrote my book. I tried to pack information into about 100 pages of short short but informative chapters, because I really believe that knowledge is power and that the more parents are aware of this issue and the warning signs and the treatment options and the assessments that are needed, the more confident that they can feel in the event that, they're, that, that, that they confront this issue, issue with their child. Yes, absolutely. And so we keep generally referring to your book, but what is the name of your book? Uh, The Addicted Child, uh, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Yes. And I've purchased the book. I've started reading it. The one thing that I love is that it's such an easy read. It's not full of jargon and it's not overly complicated. It gives you the exact information that you need and really can help you feel like you can move forward confidently. Um, And I also saw that you have a workbook to go along with, with your book. Yes. Well, that's good feedback to hear because um, that, that, 
pretty much is what I wanted to accomplish with this book. I wanted it to be short chapters without a lot of jargon, without a lot of scientific information, a book that a parent could sit down and very quickly read and walk away thinking, okay, I've got this. I understand this a little bit better now. I wrote the workbook to help parents themselves because so many times parents who are confronted with this issue feel angry or they feel anxious or, or they feel like they have failed. Uh, so I wanted to create a short workbook to give them some exercises that they could work through to help themselves. It has some tips on how to handle anxiety. I think one of the best parts of the book is the, is the information on how to talk to your child. Uh, mm. There's a section in there that guides us so that we learn how to talk to, well, not just our children, but adults too, because so many times we're very good at hearing people's words. We're not so good at hearing the feeling behind those words. Yeah. So there's some tips to, to help parents uh, learn uh, how to listen to their children's feelings. I love that. I feel like that's such a powerful tool, not even just having a conversation about you know, drugs or drug use, but just in general, being able to talk to your child in a more um, empowered way and actually being able to show up to the conversation and saying, you know, I know how to approach this conversation with words, but I also know how to approach the conversation and see the feelings and interpret the feelings that my child is having. Because I think so often it's, it can be uncomfortable to have those conversations. So sometimes as parents, we shy away because we think, oh my gosh, I don't necessarily have the answer or I, I don't even necessarily know what to say. And then the conversation's not had until it's too late. That's right. And, and it's a skill that we can all practice and we can all learn, regardless of whether your child is six or seven or 16 or 17 or 18. Uh, it's a skill uh, that, that, that we can all learn that will help us in our relationships with each other and with our children when we can learn to listen to not just the words, but to the feelings behind the words. Yes, absolutely. And so tell us a little bit about how you got started in your work with teens and drug addiction. Well, I had a long career in education as an education administrator for 30 some years in, in, in Illinois. And towards the end of that career, I started working at a mental health uh, crisis center part time. And I noticed that a lot of people who were coming to the crisis center had a mental health, not had a mental health issue, but also a substance abuse issue. So I went back to the University of Illinois and received a, a master's degree in addictions. I continued to work at the crisis center for a while until I was offered a job in Houston, Texas with Menninger Clinic. Menninger mm -hmm. Clinic is a large psychiatric hospital serving people from around the world, both adolescents and adults. And I was hired to be an addictions counselor for both adolescents and adults. And I worked at Menninger for about 11 years with both adolescents and adults. I retired a little over a year ago. And that's when I set about to write this book because I had met so many parents who were struggling with their child's addiction. Um, I wanted them to have a a resource. I wanted the resource to be for parents because I sat and listened to to to, to many of, of these parents in terms of their struggles and how they were feeling and oftentimes wishing that they had seen the warning signs earlier and feeling guilty that they had missed the warning signs. So after I left Menninger, I set about to write this book. Mm. Um, I think your experiences 
awe-inspiring to have such a long career in education, which the field of education isn't always the easiest field to sustain a 30-some year career. So as a former teacher, former classroom teacher, I give you so much kudos for being in the field of education for so long, but then also to continue on in a profession that I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, isn't always the easiest profession because you're dealing with very strong emotions from people that you're treating in the clinic, but also from their family members. And so I can imagine while very rewarding, it must have been also somewhat draining at times as well. It, it, it was a challenge and it was draining at times, working both with the kids, the adolescents and with their, and the, with their family. But, but so much of it was rewarding too, as I could see the progress that both the kids and the family were making from the time they came into the hospital until they left the hospital. Um, some of those kids went on to further treatment. Uh, some of them returned home, but uh, it was really rewarding to see the progress and the work that they could, they could accomplish. Yeah, I can only imagine. So when, you know, you had mentioned that parents struggled because they felt like they missed the warning signs or, you know, they didn't do enough or they, they wish they had done more. So can you share with our, the listeners today, what the warning signs are or potential warning signs? So that way they can say, Oh, I remember on that podcast, that gentleman said the warning signs. Yeah. I, I would encourage everyone who listens and every parent to, to, to purchase a copy of this book, because in this book, I list warning signs for marijuana use. I list warning signs for alcohol abuse. I list warning signs for a child who may be developing an eating disorder or who might be self-injuring, because many times eating disorders and self-injury will accompany a child who's also abusing alcohol and drugs. So I have those different warning signs for those different behaviors. But as a general rule, what I advise parents to do is pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. Don't assume that the changes you're seeing are just normal adolescent acting out behaviors. They may very well be, but they also may be an indicator of something else going on. So pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. For example, you may have a child who was earning very good grades and now the grades are starting to decline. You may have a child who used to be very social and outgoing now becomes more isolating. You may have a child who used to participate and enjoy sports no longer participates in sports. You may have a child who you knew who their friends were. You may have known who their friends' parents were now becomes very secretive about their friends. Mm -hmm. These are all warning signs. And the more of these warning signs you see, the more concerned you should be and you should follow up on them. Yes, absolutely. So as you're saying the warning signs, I think back to my own teen years and I didn't have substance abuse issues as a teenager, but I, those warning signs were very prevalent and my parents did a really good job of noticing them. They just weren't really sure how to help, but I had all those warning signs because I was in an abusive relationship as a teenager, but all those warning signs were there. I went from playing tennis and being on swim team to withdrawing from those things. My social circle of friends had changed. My grades were declining. I was staying in my room more, coming out less, talking to my parents less, interacting less. So, um, so the warning signs on some level are universal to indicate that there's something that's not right. 
That's exactly right. It, it may or may not be related to substance use. It could be related to a, a number of other issues, anxiety, depression, being bullied, being abused. But when you see these warning signs, the, the message is don't just assume it's normal teenage acting out developmental issues. There could be an underlying issue. So you need to you need to investigate further. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the upside to investigating is maybe it, it just turns out to be those normal teenage things. But unless you investigate and you don't know, um, then, you know, it's then the hindsight 20 is 2020 comes into play. That's right. If, it, if it's just normal adolescent development, fine. You get that assessment and now you're, you, you feel better. You know that it's probably a phase that they're going through. On the other hand, if it, if it is a more serious issue, you don't want to delay knowing that and you don't want to delay getting treatment for that because it's more likely going to get worse as time goes on. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing that I, that I really um... I'll say was like a ding, ding, ding for me with your philosophy is that you mentioned that it could, the substance abuse could be related to a mental health issue, but not always. And sometimes um, it's a combination of a mental health issue and um, like meeting an emotional needs issue. And sometimes it's just the emotional coping part. So can you share a little bit with us about um, when you've seen teens using substances and it's more of just an emotional coping mechanism rather than being connected to mental illness as well. Sure. Uh, a, a large number of, of teenage boys and girls that I worked with who were smoking a lot of marijuana multiple times a day, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. It calms me down. Um, and that's just one example of, of how teenagers um, and adults too mm -hmm. will use a substance to auto-medicate an underlying issue like anxiety or maybe depression or maybe maybe it's a traumatic experience that they might have had at school or somewhere else. But not every child is using a substance to medicate an underlying issue, but many are. And mm -hmm. that's the value of getting an assessment is to sort that out and to see if there is an underlying issue. Because if there is, you want to treat that underlying issue as well as treating, say, the marijuana use. Yes. Yes, getting to the root cause, um, yes. because until we get to the root cause and we just focus on the surface level solutions, the problem will continue to perpetuate. It will. And you're just delaying the inevitable. I mean, if you treat just, say, the marijuana use, you may be successful at curtailing that use. But over time, if you haven't treated the anxiety, the chances are the child's going to relapse and get back into marijuana or some other substance to relieve that anxiety. Yes, that's right. And so um, it's really about giving them tools to say, okay, I, I'm feeling anxious and I'm recognizing it and I need to cope with it, but in a way that does not rely on marijuana or a different substance. And there are coping skills that children and adults can learn to be able to manage those intense feelings. Um, it, it, it takes practice. It takes learning them and, and then becoming familiar and then actually practicing them. I had a number of teenagers that, that uh, learned some coping skills for self-injury, but they never mm -hmm. practiced them. They, were, you know, they, they knew them very well. They knew how to do all of the skills, but they never practiced them. So it's learning and practice. Is the key. Yes, the implementation is key because unless you're implementing what you learn, there's really no forward momentum. It's going to keep you stuck in the same place that you are. Yes, that's right. So um, 
this is maybe a tricky question um, or maybe not so cut and dry, but can you share with us um, one tip or one strategy that um, can be used if a parent feels as though their child, if their parent, if it's a parent that recognizes their child is struggling with substance issue, or um, maybe the easier solution or a strategy is if you see a child that's struggling with managing their emotional stress, um, a strategy that can help parents help their kids navigate through the situation. Well, I think the first thing you do is have a conversation with the child, uh, mm-hmm. see if they'll open up and talk to you about that. And that's going to fall back on on the communication skills that we were talking about earlier. Have you developed the communication skills so that when you're talking to your child about this issue, uh, say anxiety or marijuana use, are you hearing the feelings behind that so that you can discover more than just the words, but the feelings? So the first thing to do is to have a discussion with your child. Now that's probably Mm -hmm. going to go one of two ways. It's either going to blow up and the child's going to become defensive and angry, or it's going to, or it's going to lead to a discussion where you really get some good information. Either way though, I think the next step is to get a professional series of assessments done. And I have a whole chapter in my book on what assessments are important for parents to have accomplished. Oh, that's perfect. So that way um, it, it takes the guesswork out and we don't have to remember. We can just say, oh, in Richard's book, let me get that list. And this is what I need. It's going to tell you exactly the, the type of assessments you need. Uh, certainly you need an addictions assessment so that you know the extent of your child's abuse of a substance if there is one. But there is a number of other assessments that are critically important too, particularly the ones that get to whether or not there's an underlying condition. Yes. And then once the parent gets the assessment and their child is going through treatment of some sort, is there anything else that parents can do to help their child make the journey through treatment more successful or helping them once the child is, has left treatment and is now, we'll say, home in recovery um, or um, substance free? I think parents are going to go on this journey with their child, you know, even if their child is in a residential treatment program for a period of time, Mm -hmm. the parent is on a journey with them. And the role of the parent, first of all, is take care of yourself. Uh, And that's why I wrote the the parent workbook, because parents need to recognize that they need help, too. It's not Mm -hmm. just the child. The parent needs emotional support. The parent needs somebody to be able to talk to and to and to work through their own own feelings with this as their child is going through treatment. When the child returns home, then I think the role of the parent becomes one of encouragement, uh, Mm -hmm. monitoring, and making sure that the aftercare treatment plan is being followed by the child. Mm -hmm. But throughout the entire process, it's important that as the child is getting treatment and getting help, the parent seeks and gets help for themselves too. Yes, I think that's key because I've seen firsthand the effects that it has taken on family with a cousin who's has substance a history of substance abuse and multiple relapses. The toll that it's taken on family is um, really quite devastating. And so the self-key for the parent is super important. Um, and sometimes that can be hard to do because they get so consumed with making sure that their child is okay because, you know, as a parent, that's all that you want is for your child to just be okay. Yes, that's very true. The first priority is to take care of the child, you know, to, to, to get the child's needs met. And in doing that, 
we often neglect ourselves as parents and, and, and eventually that's going to play a toll too. So it's very important that parents recognize that there may be situations where they need to reach out for some help too. Maybe it's another family friend uh, or, a, or, or a friend or an acquaintance, a close friend, or it might be a counselor, but, but they need to recognize that the more they can develop a support system for themselves, the easier this journey is going to to be. Yes, without a doubt. So the other thing that I wanted to share today is that your Kindle version of your book is just 99 cents. So it's an absolute no brainer um, <laughs> to, to purchase this book because it's just 99 cents and you may not need it now. And, and let's hope that as parents, we never need this, but there's probably going to come a point in time where we know someone else who needs this. So if we can share the information with them or just say, Hey, there's this amazing book there. That's going to be such a valuable resource. Here it is. Um, you know, absolutely. Of course. Why wouldn't we? So, um, you can find your book on Amazon. The Kindle version is just 99 cents and the workbook is there too. Um, is there uh, another, like a website link for additional resources that you have, or is it just like, just straight to Amazon? Um, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because the book is priced at 99 cents for a purpose. And that is, yeah. I wanted to make it absolutely a, a resource that is extremely affordable for parents. Um, so I priced it at 99 cents. Um, for people who prefer to have the paperback version, because many people do, they want to keep it on their bookshelf, or it's just easier for them to read and mark and underline and highlight. Uh, it's yeah. priced, I think, at less than $10. So either version is very affordable. You yeah. can go directly to Amazon uh, and just type in help the addicted child. Uh, or you can go to the book's website, which I would encourage people to do, which is helptheaddictedchild.com. And on the website, you will find links to purchase the book uh, or the uh, workbook. It'll take you directly to Amazon. Uh, there's information about me. There's, uh, there's endorsements for the book. The book so far has won four book awards. Um, wow, congratulations. There, there is, thank you. There is also um, um, some blog articles. And there's a way that people, if they want to, they can contact me. Excellent. I love it. So um, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, this is an issue that's near and dear to my heart, like I said, because I have family members who have been affected by substance abuse and alcohol addiction. Um, and then the high school boyfriend, and that was a whole trajectory in and of itself. And so I just want to say thank you again for the incredible work that you're doing. And and also to the listeners, if you have questions for Richard and you're not able to chat with him, you know, from his website, feel free to email me, um, DM me on social media, and I will be happy to get your questions to Richard. And also, if we have a lot of questions and Richard is willing to come back and answer the questions on the podcast for us. So that is um, wonderful. So I hope we do get a flood of questions because I would love to have you back, Richard, to take the time to answer them for our listeners. And I will put all of the information in the show notes for this episode. So thank you so much for tuning in today to another episode of One of a Kind You. I hope you will join me next week for another episode. And it's been so great. And I hope everyone has a great week. Thanks so much for tuning in.